Good morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Because of his blood, we have access to you, knowing that we are your children, knowing that at any time of the day or night, we can come into your presence and speak what is ever on our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for that privilege. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Give us understanding. Father, convict us wherever necessary. And Lord, encourage us now by your word, I pray. Give us understanding to it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a passage uh, in Scripture. I'm going to actually be in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. Uh, Paul's... Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, the first chapter, but uh, as you're turning there, there is a passage of scripture that I always find kind of curious. When Jesus is addressing his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 7, he explains to them that it's better for them that he goes away because uh, unless he goes away, he's not going to send the comforter, the counselor, to them, and so it's really better. And and I I know there are many times where I've thought to myself, wouldn't it be better for us? I mean, wouldn't you rather sit down for lunch with Jesus than to just know that you have the Holy Spirit? I mean, there's a time that you there have been times where I've thought that well, it would just be really really nice to sit down and have lunch uh, with Jesus. But actually, he tells us that it's better for us to have His Spirit. There'll be some day when we're able to do lunch with him in glory, and we'll be able to, in fact, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But Jesus tells us very specifically that the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is more vital than his continuing presence on the earth would ever have been. In fact, uh, even more important to his disciples than his physical presence at that time. So with that in mind, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1 starting with verse 13, and I'm going to emphasize a few of the terms that he uses, that Paul uses here. Ephesians 1, starting with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we 
who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Paul, in this passage, describes every person who has put his or her trust as a believer in Jesus Christ. And it's a, it's a series of quite vivid descriptions. Uh, he, sa- he uses a number of very colorful words. He, he says that you were chosen. He describes you as destined, indeed predestined. And that's a whole other message, right? Adopted, redeemed, forgiven, lavished with grace, sealed. And that is the focus. That last term is my focus for this morning's message. If you put your trust in Jesus, then you have been sealed by the Spirit of God. But the big question is, What does it mean to be sealed with the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is uh, that to be sealed by the Spirit of God means that you belong eternally to him. And to put it another way, God's sealing of you by the Holy Spirit is his guarantee that he will never, ever abandon you. And there's several aspects of that sealing that mark us, and uh, I'll give those to you right out of the chute, and then we'll develop those. I'll unpack those for you over the next few minutes. There is a, the seal is authentication of who you are. It is protection of you. It is also authority that he gives you in that sealing. So let's talk first about authentication. Uh, when you, whenever you talk about seals, understand that they have relevance for us today, but they were especially relevant in the ancient days. Uh, They were vitally important because the seal referred both to the mark that was made and the tool that made it. And it was either an engraved signet ring or it may have been a staff that you would carry with you that had a, a sort of a stamp on the end of it. And when you used that on an object or on a document, it identified that object as yours and yours alone. It was a mark of possession. Every free man possessed a seal. Uh, It was the equivalent of your personal identification number. If If you gave someone your seal, it was the same as if I were to give you my pin for down at Valley National Bank, and you were to take it and to use it. Of course, you would later be prosecuted for fraud, but, you know, or theft by deception, whatever the proper term would be. But that was a sign of authentication for you. When you used it on a document, or on anything for that matter, it functioned really like a legal signature that had been witnessed and notarized. It was that powerful. Uh, We see a number of examples in it, of it throughout Scripture. For example, in the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Jeremiah used a seal. 
uh, for, the, for the last couple of months uh, at Grace Church on the Mount, we've been preaching in the book of, of Jeremiah. In fact, my mind has been marinating in the book of Jeremiah, and Pastor Shegun is speaking at uh, Grace today, and he's in chapter 32, where God tells Jeremiah to go by a field at a place called Anatoth. And thus we read in Jeremiah 32.10, he says, I signed the deed and sealed it. Uh, that was an authoritative proclamation and guarantee that it belonged to him. It was a great promise because Israel was going to be going into exile, and it was basically God saying, you're, you know, you may, be, you may be losing that in the future, but you're going to be getting it back. It's going to be yours. Uh, another example of a sealing in the Old Testament is from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9. Uh, after the people had rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem in just a matter of a few short weeks, they committed themselves to follow the Lord together with the leaders, and they together, all together, they placed on a document their seals that attested to their commitment. Nehemiah 9.38 reads, In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are fixing their seals to it. It was, a, it was this authoritative act. Uh, another place where you see the importance of a seal is in Matthew chapter 27, verse 66, where we read that Jesus' tomb was sealed by Roman authorities to ensure that nobody with, would tamper with the tomb. And to do that, if you were to tamper with it, it would make you liable to the death penalty, uh, to mess around with a Roman seal, to break the seal without authorization. So consequently, seals were intended uh, for very important purpose, to authenticate the thing that bore the seal. Uh, you may recall, some of you, maybe many of you, obviously are way too young to remember this, but back in 1982, all right, I remember it well. Uh, do you remember when you could buy over-the-counter medications and, and you just opened the head capsules and you could take them apart? There was a time when you could do that. And you could pull the capsules apart uh, and uh, you could do that until 1982 when the Chicago area saw a rash of murders that took place. Do you remember the Tylenol murders? Capsules had been taken out taken apart, and laced with potassium cyanide, a deadly poison. And now, virtually every medication, I mean, you, you go in and you buy Tylenol now, you buy aspirin, you buy anything, uh, anything at all, virtually everything comes with a tamper-evident seal that authenticates that the contents uh, have been inspected, they haven't been messed with, and it assures the consumer that nobody has done anything to adversely affect that product. And when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were marked in him with a seal that authenticates you as his. And in fact, it is an inviolable seal. 
No one can undo it. He won't even undo it. You belong to him. Romans 13, 38 and 39, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, probably yours as well. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so to be sealed by the Spirit of God indicates that you belong eternally to him. Nobody is going to mess with you to take that away. Well, the seal of the Holy Spirit not only authenticates you, but it also protects you. If you're familiar at all with the end times prophecies, uh, during the seven-year tribulation, which will immediately precede the, the bodily return of Jesus Christ to set up his kingdom on the earth, uh, during the rule of the Antichrist, God is going to place his seal on 144,000 Messianic Jews. You read about that in Revelation chapter 7, verses 4 through 8. And the implications of that seal are rich with the reality of God's protection. The seal of God protects the 144,000 during the most chaotic time in human history. And, and nothing can overcome it, not even the Antichrist. And in fact, that protection is so firm that at the end of the tribulation... Those 144,000 reappear in the scriptures. They're intact to welcome Jesus in Revelation chapter 14. And so, believer, today, you have put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're being sealed, having been sealed by the Spirit of God at the moment of your salvation is an indication of God's pledge to preserve you into eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, we read, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Another, another way to render that word that's, that's rendered in the English Standard Version as a guarantee is as a down payment, a down payment of God's intentions. Uh, what does a down payment do? It's something that secures and, and indicates to the person you're buying something from that you're going to follow through with the deal, right? In other words, if I, if I, say, um, if I say to my wife Nancy here, all right, Nancy, raise your hand so everybody knows who you are. That's Nancy. If I say to you that I, let's say she's a neighbor, all right? Well, you are in a sense a neighbor, right? You are. And I were to give you a down payment for a car, and then I say, nah, you know what, I don't want it. Technically, you have the right to keep that down payment, don't you? I mean, think about that with God. Can you imagine this? God says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit that's a down payment. That's something you keep. He's not going to then send you away from himself 
Because you have a down payment. You have a deposit. You don't have to return that deposit. So you go away from with with this Holy Spirit? No, he'll never, the point is, he'll never send you away from him. He will carry on to completion what he began in you because he has given you the down payment, the guarantee, the earnest money of his spirit on the moment, at the moment that you put your trust in him. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And if your salvation could be lost like so much spare change, then God isn't being honest with us. No, he has sealed you. If you have put your trust in him, then you bear his seal. You are protected by him. And the seal of the Holy Spirit doesn't wear off. You and I may sadden and grieve the Holy Spirit. We may even offend the Holy Spirit by our actions and our attitudes, but he will never break his seal upon your life. Ephesians 4, 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And the day of redemption is a day that we enter the ultimate state of salvation when you and I receive our resurrection body. And what a glorious day that will be. Romans 8.23 says, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There are no exceptions to this promise. Everyone who has put their trust in Jesus, everyone who has been sealed by the Holy Spirit, will remain sealed unto eternity. The Apostle Paul states that by faith, in 1 Peter 1.5, we are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Think about that for a moment. Not only has he saved you, not only has he sealed you, But he shields you. You are in his hands. I spoke about this a a month ago, the last time when I I had the privilege of speaking here. That you are in his grip. Nothing will tear you out of his hand. You can't even jump out of his hand. You won't do that. And then the third aspect. The third aspect of the seal is authority. Authority. Uh, When the Egyptian pharaoh appointed Joseph, the son of Jacob, the second in command, to become second in command of of all of Egypt, uh, we read, so he became the the sort of vice pharaoh. We read this in Genesis 41-42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and by that act... Pharaoh clothed Joseph with immense authority to act on his behalf. Now, this is an often uh, ignored and little-known aspect of what it means 
to be sealed by the Spirit of God. And that is that you have been clothed with authority. Not only did Joseph have immense authority, but you find in other places. For example, in the Old Testament prophet Haggai, chapter 2. There we see a reference to Zerubbabel, the governor of Jerusalem, after the Babylonian exile. He's referred to as God's signet ring. That was a seal. In Haggai 2.23, we read, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shaltiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So God speaks of entrusting Zerubbabel with authority to carry out his will because he had carried out the word of the Lord. And that should grab our attention. Because God also calls you, believer, to be his ambassador. Do you know what an ambassador did? An ambassador had the authority to represent a ruler in a foreign land. Do we live in a foreign land, spiritually speaking, today? Or do we not? It's becoming more and more clear that we do. And when we, when we live in a, in a nation where, where uh, our, our own Congress, our own Senate refuses to recognize that the unborn, are, the unborn are living beings and even those newly born, what a scandal that is. And you have the right and the power and the authority to speak authoritatively, to stand to quote scripture even, and to say, this is what the Lord says. Do you believe that? Thank you. Because I sure do believe that. As God's ambassadors, you bear authority. And the ambassadors are what you are called in 2 Corinthians 5.20. That means that you are delegated a certain level of divine agency, And it is a mysterious and yet powerful aspect of the sealing of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's one of the reasons why Jesus says in Matthew 18, uh, verses 18 and 19, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So when you and I have sought God's will, when we have tested it by his word, when we have determined with others that it aligns with his will, Others who have likewise followed the same process, the same procedure, there is tremendous power and authority to make things happen on the earth, both in terms of binding and of loosing. Jesus promised Peter in Matthew 16, 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so, believer, do not overlook 
not only the, the delegated, but also that corporate authority that has been given to the body of Christ and to you as a believer, the, where we, which we sometimes, in fact, I would say often overlook and sadly rarely invoke. And we have both the privilege and the obligation to bring the power and the authority of heaven to bear in a variety of situations. No, it's not, a, it's not a blank check to do whatever we want, but it is to do, it is to do the authority, it is the authority to do what he wants. And we can see the power of heaven set loose when even a small number of obedient followers representing him serve as his signet rings. So when one of your elders, Bill Mino, uh, called you to fast and to pray, realize that, that when you do that, you are engaging in, in this sort of a divine transaction where you are seeking God's will and then you are acting his will, whatever that may be. However God leads that group, however God leads you, and I want you to know this, whatever God leads you to do, acting in that authority, I'm okay with. My fellow believers on the Church on the Mount are okay with it, and I want you to know that. I just wanted to give you the word today. That's why when we call for prayer, it's not just a call for people to pray individually. Do you believe that there's power in people coming together to pray corporately? There is. When people say, oh, well, you know, I'll just pray by myself. You know, that's good. That's good to pray by yourself. But there is something where there is a power and there is authority released when people come together in agreement, they seek God's word, they seek his face, they listen to him, and then they speak his will. Why does it release God's power? I don't know why. I don't know why God chooses to do many things the way that he does, but I do know the what. I do know that God moves. And that's one of the effects of being sealed by the Spirit of God. Now, you don't own yourself. I don't own myself. I am not simply the captain of my own ship. No one else has a claim on your soul. No one else has a claim on my soul like God does. You are God's possession if you've put your trust in him. And no one can steal you away from him. So what does this mean for you and for me? It means you feed upon his word and you listen to the Holy Spirit in his word, which says you are his by faith. You rest secure in his ownership of you. You be bold in your authority, especially even in declarative prayer as you operate with divine agency and you join with other agents to that end. And this is why group prayer is so important. I've seen what happens 
when even one small team of intercessors stands in the gap. And when you and I stand in the gap and we decide that we're going to do that together, imagine what God will do if there are multiple such groups. So what does it mean to be sealed by the Spirit of God? It means that you are authenticated. It means that you are protected. It means that you are imbued with authority by the one who has guaranteed never to abandon you. And that is the sealing by the Spirit of God. May the Lord add his blessing to the declaration of his word today. Father, thank you for the word that you have given to us in your scriptures. Thank you, Father, for the the privilege and the opportunity of gathering together as your servants, of acting together as your ambassadors. And, Father, even now as we approach your table and we prepare to honor you in the bread and the cup, Lord, continue to speak to us, not only comfort our hearts, but strengthen our hearts with the realization that you have bought us, you have sealed us, you keep us, and you shield us by your power. In Jesus' name, amen.